civil dialogue across the political divide. Uh, I'm Ed Fallon, I'm your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland. That would be Des Moines, Iowa. And if you value what we do, folks, we could sure use your support, your help. You can visit the uh, Fallon Forum website, go to the donations page. You know how that works. Or, you know, if you run a small business or involved with a nonprofit doing good work in the world, you can also consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can also check out Gateway's catering and floral services and their local produce selection. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. Wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. All right, in the studio with me today, Randy Evans. He's the former editor of the Des Moines Register editorial page. He's the founder of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council and the group's executive director. Randy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ed. Glad to be with you. Now, I know later in the program, you and I are going to be discussing a school board's decision to ban reporters from attending a public meeting and the the of the lawsuit that obviously followed that decision. We're also going to try to uh, sort out um, where the right to exercise your First Amendment ends and where the right to privacy begins, taking specifically a look at um, uh, uh, Justice uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, Kavanaugh and the uh, fun he has been having with people interrupting his meals and coming to his private residence. That will be an interesting conversation as well. Uh, I value your, your take on that as a, as a big fan of freedom of information and the First Amendment. But first, Randy, we got to take a look at, the, um, at, uh, at climate change. I always dedicate at least one segment of this program, sometimes the whole thing, to the climate crisis. Um, and, you know, the, uh, it's been fascinating to watch um, how, uh, how, how, you, you know, the, how some, some members of Congress and the U.S. Senate just can't seem to come around to uh, agreeing that something needs to be done about the climate crisis, even though we've got, uh, I, I mean, at least I've seen an evolution from lawmakers, especially Republican lawmakers, who formerly just flat out denied climate change was happening, to accepting that it's happening, but still not seeming to be able to do anything about it or willing to do anything about it. And one of the most common uh, points of reference for their you know, inability to act is, well, what's it going to do to the economy? We can't afford this. Well, and the economy, uh, you have to ask what climate change or the effects of climate change is going to do to the economy as well. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not an either or. Uh, you know, the economy is going to be forced to adapt uh, whether we like it or not. Yeah, and the, and the economic impact of climate-related catastrophes is already uh, you know, way beyond what people, I think, were, were prepared to uh, deal with. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you follow the uh, National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration's uh, work, and, and also called NOAA, of course, but uh, they did some great research about the cost of disasters. And, you know, it, it, you look at what's going on, $366 billion in disaster uh, in, in ec economic, uh, the economic impact of disasters, mm -hmm. I should say, in 2017, you know, last year, 156 billion. Who knows what it's going to be this year? But it's uh, it, we're already paying a lot. Well, the, it, the economy is already suffering because of climate chaos. You know, the United States is in the position like uh, the homeowner with a leaky roof. We don't want to pay to replace the roof, so we're going to pay to clean up after every heavy rain where we're going to go in and roll up the carpets and, and you know, clean the furniture, replace the furniture, because we don't want to pay the expense of putting a new roof on the house. Right. It's, uh, it's illogical. Yeah. And I'm surprised, uh, you know, insurance companies, I, I would think they would be struggling badly to deal with uh, being able to manage this kind of risk. I well, would, and, I would think they would just and I, you know, I've talked with uh, lawyers who specialize in dealing with insurance companies, and that you've put your finger on what uh, some of the legal minds think is going to be one of the ultimately one of the big motivators for the government to get its 
act together, and that is going to be uh, insurers pushing the government. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah. the costs for insurance are going to continue to go up like a rocket ship. Yeah. No, I'm surprised. Back in 1993, we had our first 500-year flood. The second 500-year flood occurred 15 years later. Do the math. Uh, but after the 1993 flood, uh, in Des Moines at least, there were, there, I can't remember how many homes were destroyed, how many businesses were under eight feet of water. But in my legislative district at the time, the Birdland area, uh, I mean, t- lo- loads of homes totally destroyed. I thought, okay, you know, they're going to, they're going to, they'll, they'll, they're going to, they're going to buy them out, uh, help those people move somewhere away from the river, and then what? The, what did they do? They, <laughs> they used, I presume, taxpayer money to some extent to rebuild in the floodplain. Yeah. I it, mean, how how smart is that, Randy? It's <laughs> to answer your question, it isn't. Right. You know, but. When you mentioned the floods of 93, you look at what the Des Moines Waterworks did. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't take the the roof is leaking, we'll just put the buckets out approach. You know, they were stunned by how rapidly the water rose and what it did to the treatment right. plant. But they went in, you know, after the floodwaters were pumped out, they went in and raised the levees around the, mm-hmm. the treatment right. plant they built, uh, you know, alternative treatment facilities uh, at Moffat Reservoir, and they have a treatment plant that's up in the Sailorville area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have gone to the expense of investing in what they hope uh, is going to be facilities that they're not going to need, right. but the customers going to be served right. if they do need them. Because back in 93, when the waterworks itself was submerged, Des Moines was out of water for three weeks. I, yeah. The That's... the headline in the, uh, the register when they finally started pumping, it was untreated water, but the headline in the register was, like, on day 12 we flushed, <laughs> uh, which was a... Uh, a monumental uh, event. Right, right. And on day 14, we began to drink again. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I do, I will say there was quite an effort to bring resources, needed resources, to the community to make sure people were able to drink, cook, use the bathroom, take a shower. But it was a huge operation and well, a and, lot of money and involved. And a lot of money involved. Yes. And, you know, whatever the disaster is that you're wanting to talk about mm-hmm. and shine the spotlight on, whether it's, you know, the flooding that's now going on in Kentucky, right. whether it is the derechos that have, you know, two years ago we had never heard of the term, and now... One every year, or maybe two. You know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the fires out west, I mean, you know, I, and I don't know how... I, I don't know what's being done in response to, for example... Uh, Fires are, are are people allowed to rebuild in an area that's prone to fires? Are they being, uh, you know, is public money being used in the right way to maybe help them relocate? What happens in coastal areas where you've got sea level rise? I mean, and are, are people allowed to rebuild there in areas that are look, high risk? When politicians get hung up on, you know, is this man-made? Is this naturally occurring? This has become a a convenient exercise because they don't want to uh, uh, to confront the realities mm-hmm. of what the climate is doing. Uh, but you know, you you look at uh, Alaska, where uh, you know there are uh, uh, villages that are sinking into the ground because right. the permafrost is is thawing. Right. Uh, you've got. Uh, you know, native villages where they're having to pick up and move to higher ground because of the uh, uh, the encroaching uh, seawater. Yeah. You you know whether you're in uh, you know along the east coast in in the you know in Florida where uh, dealing with rising water levels is is a part of everyday expense for governments there. This is not happening at right. zero cost, uh, and you know I I sputter like an old pickup truck when I uh, hear politicians well, starting to talk about you know government is forcing you know these actions on on people. Well, the 
the people are, are hungering for somebody who is going to help them find their way through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for the Joni Ernsts of the world who uh, uh, are complaining about the cost of uh, uh, electric vehicles. Yeah. You know, I can drive in Des Moines uh, every day and... You know, I'm not out that much, but I will bet you dollars to donuts that I will pass, come across uh, an electric car out there. You've got, uh, uh, you know, Ford Motor Company's quarterly profits are in comfortable territory. And one big reason is the uh, the Ford F-150 Lightning pickup truck. They're all electric. Uh people are are wanting these kinds of, of alternatives. Uh, I, I just worry mm. that those who are wrapping their arms around petroleum uh, <laughs> are the same kinds of people who uh, 120 years ago were wrapping their arms around oats well, because I mean, horses were being fed oats. Well, or, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's plenty of uh, metaphors there. But, you know, uh, it's, it's a, good, a good example. I mean, the, 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 the climate, I call it the climate change bill because I'm more honest. But the, um, the Inflation Reduction Act, ridiculous name. understand why they did it. Ridiculous name. But that is a bill that is primarily, not exclusively, but primarily focused on the climate crisis. And it's a bill that I have very mixed feelings about. But, you know, here we have an industry that... Uh, has uh, wrapped its arms around members of Congress who are going to do its bidding, and I think as re- and there there are certainly Democrats who are in love with the oil industry. Uh, Joe Manchin comes to mind, but he's not the only one. But you've got an entire caucus in the U.S. Senate, the, the 50 members, the 50 Republican men- members of the U.S. Senate who all voted against that bill. And um, you know, I, I mean, Joe and Joe, our, our junior senator, Joni Ernst, is one of those uh, votes. And I, I came across this clip from 2015 in which she talks about climate change, and I want to play that for us. Uh. I would say that yes, you know, we do see climates change, but I have not seen proven, you know, proof that it is entirely man-made. Um, I think. We do have cyclic changes in, in weather. I think that's been throughout the course of history. What impact is man-made? But I do believe that we can educate people and educating people to make, make good choices. That might have been when you were at the register. That's our conference room. That's your conference room, yeah. So that might have been when you, you might have been the one, one of the ones talking with her at that time. Listening. I'm not sure. Listening to her, okay. <laughs> well, it's a horrible response. The climate's always changing. I mean, I get so tired of hearing that. But the bottom line is we've got, we've got, it's clear now that these changes that we're seeing are impacted by climate change. I mean, let me rephrase that, that the extreme weather we're seeing, mm-hmm. I mean, science is clear. That is, the, the, these temperatures would not be happening in certain parts of the world. This amount of rainfall, uh, this level of drought, these types of fires, this would not be happening without man-made climate change. And so instead of doing something about it in a big way, we hear the continual spinning of wheels, we hear the continual, well, we don't we yeah, well, we don't want to hurt the economy. And you know my favorite my, my new favorite cartoon, Randy? It's a couple of dinosaurs looking up the sky. They see a comet coming to the earth, and one of them says, "Oh no, the economy." Well, I I love that cartoon. And it's also terrifyingly relevant, uh, you, you know, that, that, that politicians aren't able to look beyond the, uh, or look at the immediate costs that we're already spending. Well, and, and, in my office at the Register, when I still worked for a living, there was a Frank Miller cartoon that was hanging on the wall that was the, the earth, kind of a burned out shell, and one little man on I've one seen side. That. Yeah yelling across the chasm to the man on the other saying, we settled that, didn't we? And I think we're headed in that direction, I worry, with the climate. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, So what about this climate bill? The, oh, sorry, the Inflation Reduction Act. What about that bill? Good bill? Bad bill? What are your thoughts on it? Oh, I think that 
the bill certainly could be improved, uh, and that depends on, you know, whether you're coming at it from the left side or the right side. <laughs> but one of the things that is, uh, I think, gratifying is that something is happening, whether it's the perfect steps being taken or not is, uh, is immaterial because I think too many people are paralyzed or are mortified by the paralysis that mm-hmm. they see in, in yeah. Washington. And yes, the bill could be better, but uh, I think better is, uh, uh, the bill is better than doing nothing and just sitting back, whether you're talking about. It's probably better than doing nothing. I, I'm waiting to see the fine print and how the various agencies of the of the Biden administration will decide to implement provisions. Um, I know there's a lot of stuff in there that's just going to make the problem worse. We're going to continue down the path of, ex, of, of expanded fossil fuel extraction and use. And again, that said, there's some stuff in there that will probably begin to help, but it's like, it's like you, you, we can't we, we can't make it. We can't make a decision on what direction to head. So we're going to head both directions. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you know that uh, the the lobbyists are going to get in there and start stirring the the legislation right. once it's uh, signed sure. to get their oh, yeah. hooks into uh, some yeah. of that money. Yeah. Well, we'll see what comes of that. Again, I, I think the, the, the argument that, well, we, gotta, we can't do anything to fight climate change that will, quote, hurt the economy, is so transparently ridiculous that any politician who says that should be called out. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, so, hey, we've got to take a short break. Uh, Randy Evans with me today, folks. When we come back, uh, uh, we're going to be talking about, the, um, about uh, the school board here in Iowa that banned reporters from attending a public meeting, but in respect, in, in, uh, in, with a nod to our previous uh, conversation about climate change, I leave you with this adorable little tune by uh, some British kids. It's time to rise up, get right together. This is so much more than changes in the weather. And we say no, no, no more wasting time. And we say no, no, no more wasting time. The time Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Vibes Kitchen and Bar in downtown Des Moines at the corner of 13th and Walnut serves clever, creative, modern interpretations of American classic bites and drinks. The Vibes team offers great food and customer service in a relaxed and welcoming atmosphere. Vibes is the perfect place for your party or function, and it's got an outdoor patio ideal for hobnobbing with friends and co-workers or for watching your favorite sports team. Learn more at Vibes Kitchen and Bar's Facebook page. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche here is more important than ever. So please support what we do. You can go to the Fallon Forum website, sign up for my weekly blog, donate, even better, become a monthly sponsor. And, you know, speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. 
Okay, so last week, the Iowa Freedom of Information Council, and again, the executive director of that council is in the studio with me today, Randy Evans. The FOI Council, uh, along with three TV stations and the Quad City Times, sued the Bettendorf School District, Bettendorf, Iowa, on the Mississippi River, mid-sized town, part of the Quad Cities, Davenport and, and a couple towns over there in Illinois. Uh, the, uh, the council and others sued the Bettendorf School District because it refused to allow the press, the media, to attend a public meeting. And this was a public meeting back in May that occurred after the horrific shooting in Texas. Uh, but it was, it, was law, it was held, I believe, in response to concerns about behavior in the, this particular middle school. But, um, you know, so now you and others are suing because they should have allowed the press to attend that meeting. That's my initial take on what I see happening. Randy, give us your perspective on it as someone on the inside of it. Well, I've been uh, following public government meetings for more years than I would want to acknowledge. Uh, <laughs> I'm in my uh, 50th year in the business. Uh, and in those 50 years, I have never seen a more egregious example of a government entity disregarding the, the letter of the public meetings law as well as the spirit uh, behind that law. And that is that the public is entitled to uh, watch and to participate in the, the operation of their government, their public school district in this case. Uh, this has been an issue throughout the school year in the Bettendorf Middle School. Uh, rowdyism, rising to violence, fights, uh, bullying, kids being injured who uh, were simply uh, walking down the hallway and were mm. not involved in any of this. Parents were have expressed their frustrations with school administrators for not doing more to stop it. Uh, so, a day after the Uvalde shootings, between 200 and 300 parents showed up uh, at the community center in Bettendorf with uh, a majority of the school board members and the school administration to uh, vent their frustrations. And who called that meeting? Did the school board call that meeting? Yes. Okay. And they, were they planning on having that meeting anyhow, or did they do it in response and partially in response to the shooting in Texas? Uh, both. both. I mean, okay. the meeting, parents had been wanting uh, to uh, convey to school administrators just how fed up they were. Uh, the Uvalde shootings certainly provided a, an uncomfortable backdrop. To your knowledge, did parents request that that meeting be uh, off limits to the press? Uh, I don't know that that's true, but... The, uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, the, the school board meetings uh, in Iowa, along with city council meetings, boards of supervisors, any government board... Legislative uh, committee meetings. Are, ...are treated differently, though. But, yeah, well... <laughs> but uh, government board meetings uh, are open to the, uh, the public... Uh, as long as there are uh, a, a quorum is present. So what was the school board's uh, stated justification for closing this meeting to the press? That uh, they wanted a free flow of ideas coming from the, uh, the parents. And why did they believe that wouldn't happen if the press were there? You, uh, you've asked a, a question that there is no logical answer to. <laughs> okay. uh, but, you know, the... The Iowa law is, from my vantage point, is is uh, very clear that uh, uh, you know the only times when you have a majority uh, of board members present where you don't have to notify the public in advance and let them in is purely social purposes. Mm -hmm. You know, if uh, Ed Fallon, school board member, had a majority of the school board over at his house for a uh, uh, sing along, right. uh, you know, you don't have to uh, 
you know, right. notify the public. And, and in between songs, we'd be uh, crafting policy decisions. But yeah. if, you, if you're getting into <laughs> so policy even... discussions, then it becomes. Yeah, uh, and that, that there, there's a gray there's a gray area there, isn't there? Because I mean, you know, I well, I certainly know from my time at the state house that lots of maybe not the formal decision, but the the groundwork for decisions are often made over a beer, over lunch, at a social event. You know, the, there's, no, there's no way to avoid that. Just the the human purpose of the happen. law that is that uh, you know the the public is entitled to to be present and to understand the the basis and the rationale for the decisions their government mm. officials make on their behalf, and the the Bettendorf School District belongs to the uh, the citizens of of that school district. It doesn't belong to the school board and the school administrators. Right. Uh, and it's, uh, it's very unfortunate that, uh, that they chose to, to exclude the, the, the uh, media from this because when you, my experience is that when you exclude the public, whether it is the citizens themselves or the journalists who are there sort of mm-hmm. in the public stead, uh, you you invite distrust. You invite skepticism. Uh, it that, gives rise to rumors, and that seems to be what happened. I, I was watching some of the uh, press coverage of this from back in May on uh, Q, uh, WQAD, one of the mm-hmm. Quad Cities uh, TV stations, and uh, it sounds like there were parents who were pretty upset about not being, not having the press, or that they weren't able to speak. But again, that was the media's coverage. And the media was upset, so maybe they didn't include voices that said, "Oh, I'm glad the media wasn't there." I don't know. Well, I'm sure that uh, that there would be uh, a mix of of parents who uh, were grateful for the opportunity to to vent to the administration without the media, but the law doesn't include a mm-hmm. a giant asterisk that says <laughs> that uh, these media these meetings have to uh, be open to the public unless the people who uh, are speaking want to exclude the public. Yeah, that would be a huge asterisk. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, what do you hope to accomplish with the lawsuit? Uh, again, Randy Evans, as the executive director of the Iowa Freedom of Information uh, Council, also three TV stations and the Quad City Times, what is, uh, what is your collective goal in terms of how you want to see this lawsuit resolved? I think we want the, uh, the district judge in Scott County to clearly articulate that the actions of the school board were contrary to the requirements of the public meetings law. Uh, and that's, that's it. You're not asking for millions of dollars? We have asked that uh, the school board members uh, be fined for uh, violating the law. How much? You know, if, if they uh, uh, were acting... Uh, uh, on the advice of their attorneys, it would be uh, $100 up to $500. If they disregarded uh, the lawyer's advice, it would be, you know, $1,000. So, so you pay less if you listen to an attorney. But this is, this is <laughs> a case where uh, this whole thing could have been in, avoided very mm-hmm. easily, even after the fact, because... Mm-hmm. You know, I had written to the superintendent and the school board president the week after the meeting and said, you know, that we were very disappointed that the media was excluded and, uh, you know, seeking simply an acknowledgement that, you know, they will go forth and sin no more. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they didn't even choose to reply to our letter. So so right now the, the... the school board and the administration are kind of hunkering down and, right. and, and, and insisting that they were right to exclude you. Now, I mean, again, it, it seems to me as an outsider that, yeah, they're totally off base. That, that absolutely should have been a, a public meeting that the media and anyone else were invited to. But, uh, but you know, there, there are plenty of examples. There are plenty of role models out there that suggest that, yeah, you— you know, you can just pretty much do whatever you want and not have to worry about whether the press is there or not or whether certain people are excluded. you got our own governor here in Iowa, yeah. Kim Reynolds. you got governors across the country. Yeah. You've, we've got 
and 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 not and there I wouldn't say there's any recent president in the U.S. who's been beautiful on this issue on the issue of of uh, of open meetings, but certainly the Trump administration was was uh, particularly well, bad. But and that's one of the the purposes for the the lawsuit is to to send a clear signal to not just school districts across the state, but city councils, boards of supervisors, uh, other government boards, that they have to adhere to the law, whether it's convenient or not. Uh, you know, and it will, uh, it will send a, an important signal, mm. uh, just as, uh, you know, my colleagues and I who are uh, suing the Governor Reynolds over, uh, you know, going months and months, in some cases upwards of a year, without responding to certain public records requests during the pandemic. Uh, How's that suit going? It, it is before the uh, Iowa Supreme Court now on a, uh, the uh, state has taken the, uh, to the Supreme Court for a, uh, a decision on the refusal of the district judge to dismiss the case. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, I think it's important for uh, entities like the Iowa FOI Council to stand up and, and let citizens know that uh, this is what the law requires, and uh, you know, so that they uh, are aware aware of what options are available to them, how they can use the law in their own behalf. So again, and I, I certainly understand the importance of uh, of allowing any any public person affected by a government decision, and certainly the media, to be at these meetings. But I, I look at the uh, challenges that our public schools are facing right now. Uh, I mean, school districts, parents, teachers are genuinely worried about violence in the classroom. And, mm -hmm. that, and that certainly has been one of the motivators in Bettendorf for this meeting yeah. to be held in the first mm -hmm. place. Uh, it could be a lot worse, uh, looking, yeah, given what's happening right. with school shootings. But also you've got issues of funding. Uh, legislatures and governors around the country are slashing funds for public education. Uh, it's really bad here in Iowa. I mean, remember, folks, uh, when every state got to choose their special quarter, Iowa's quarter was the school. Yeah, first in education, the, or, or the one-room schoolhouse. Yeah, it, it was a focus on education. But it's, and, and it's really, I mean, support for public education and confidence in public education has declined drastically. Yeah, but you're you're not going to rebuild that public confidence and that public trust by secreting the right. discussions away from the public. But what what is this costing the school district? I mean, I mean, can they even afford to deal with these kinds of lawsuits? Well, I mean, they're paying a, an outside law firm, I would guess, probably in the 300 to $350 an hour for a so, lawyer's time. Uh, if we prevail, as I'm confident we will, uh, they will be on the hook for our attorney fees. Okay. Uh, and they, by, by they, in this case, we mean the, the, the residents of Iowa who pay property taxes that go to the school districts and the property taxpayers in Bettendorf. Correct. So how does that? I mean, how does that feel? Well, <laughs> but it's, but the other option is that if if we don't fight it, uh, it just I think emboldens other government bodies to to go behind closed doors or to exclude the media when they don't want to be embarrassed by what they're going to have to talk about. Right, but is there a way to fight it without a costly lawsuit that the taxpayers end up paying? That's an excellent question. I don't think that there, I mean, that was what, uh, you know, the purpose of our letter was, mm -hmm. you know, was to to begin a, a discussion. And with they didn't respond. And, and they didn't respond. Yeah. They still haven't responded. Mm. Uh, you know, that would have cost them nothing. Uh, you know, they could have invited us over to sit down and talk. And we would have yeah. been there in a heartbeat. Well, ouch. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Hey, folks, uh, Randy Evans in the studio with me today, former editor of the Des Moines Register editorial page, uh, founder of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council and its executive director. Uh, we're going to go, uh, we're going to move on from uh, talking about uh, uh, public open meetings to uh, where does your First Amendment right begin and where does it end? Open sidewalks. Open sidewalks. Well, what about restaurants? I mean, uh, Judge uh, Brent Kavanaugh um, 
being, uh, uh, being criticized heavily for his vote on Roe v. Wade, especially after his um, insistence during the hearing leading up to his confirmation that he thought Roe v. Wade was the law of the land. Uh, and so you've got some pretty serious uh, protesting going on. And I want to talk with you, Randy, about what's appropriate, what isn't. Folks, we'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Yeah, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, you can support this alternative to the angry shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors, including Vibes Kitchen and Bar, serving creative interpretations of American classic food and drink, uh, great food, great customer service, a relaxed and welcoming atmosphere, and an awesome outdoor patio. Vibes is the perfect place for parties and, for some of us, watching our favorite sports teams. Anyway, learn more at Vibes' Facebook page. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Clipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. So, Randy, um, I, you know, you wrote a you wrote a great editorial recently, and I know you're 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 not only doing the Freedom of Information Council, you're still writing, and I commend you for that. And your material is being published in you know several papers across Iowa, and I, I liked your piece on the protesting of Justice Kavanaugh at a restaurant in Washington D.C. And I think it raises a whole bunch of interesting questions about where you know how far does the freedom of speech go. Uh, up to the point of, you know, and where does the right to privacy meet up against that? And is protesting someone you, whose decision you don't like at a public restaurant, is that going too far? Is that, uh, is that appropriate? Well, I think the, uh, the First Amendment is uh, kind of the bedrock for the United States. It's what sets us apart from other nations around the world. And you know, the, the public, uh, the citizens don't get to elect uh, Supreme Court justices. Uh, all they can do is live with the decisions, whether they like them or not. Uh, as you well know, uh, citizens like to have opinions and they like to express them. Right. And I think that uh, it would be... Uh, uh, against the spirit of the First Amendment to to tell people that they're unable to protest a decision by uh, a Supreme Court justice, whether it's Brett Kavanaugh, who uh, uh, may be uh, more conservative than some people would like, or whether it is, uh, uh, you know, Justice Sotomayor, who may be more liberal than other but, but people I would think like. Part of the problem that uh, that pro-choice people have is that you have justices on the Supreme Court, including Kavanaugh, who indicated, who, who were questioned on, questioned by other U.S. senators about their stand on Roe v. Wade, and you came away with the strong uh, understanding that that was not 
a, a, a precedent that they were interested in changing, and yet here they are voting to change yeah. 50 years of precedent. So I understand why people are really upset about that, but, you know, to what extent, how, how far are they... How far should the First Amendment allow them to go? Protesting a guy, a justice of the Supreme Court, eating at a restaurant? Um, well, they, you know, and I think it's important for your listeners to understand what uh, occurred and what didn't occur. I mean, you might think that uh, the protesters were, were marching through uh, the dining room uh, uh, with picket signs while he was trying to... Uh, chew his uh, okay. ribeye. Would, Actually, well, well, would that be appropriate? No, because I don't think that, because, you know, they would be in the premises of a, okay. of a, a business, something, a, a space that belonged to somebody else. Okay. The public sidewalks, they belong to all of us. Okay. Uh, you know, if, if they are, if the protester isn't impeding traffic either in the street or on the sidewalk, isn't, Stopping people from getting into the restaurant, or as Donald Call used to say, another columnist at the Register, scaring the scaring the horses. Yes, <laughs> that's right. You know, stopping people from getting into the laundromats. Uh, you know, I I don't see that that is well, uh, against the the okay. First Amendment. But what if what if the laundromat has been um, dumping toxic waste into the nearby stream? Uh, then would people be within their First Amendment right to stand on the sidewalk and prevent people from getting into that laundromat to try to shut down the business of that laundromat, just to, again, take mm -hmm. it in that direction? Well, I think that, you know, anybody, anybody who is going to protest needs to, uh, you know, decide for themselves ahead of time what the, uh, the, their own personal limits are going to be. Mm -hmm. Are you going to stop somebody from going in there uh, or not? Because I think that, you need to be aware before you commit yourself. Uh, you know, are you are you prepared to face the consequences? Yeah. One one thing that uh, that I find very amusing and a little disturbing about this conversation about Justice Kavanaugh is that uh, some of the uh, uh, anti-choice people who are up, upset that protesters are at his home at a restaurant where mm -hmm. he's dining uh, were very supportive when. Um, Anti-choice yeah. activists would protest at a quote abortion doctor's yeah. home. Yeah. <laughs> it or, seems like I mean, you know, if, if you uh, you know, if you look back at at the history of of the abortion issue uh, here in the Midwest, uh, you had uh, protests outside of abortion clinics in in Des Moines and uh, Wichita and mm. uh, other you know. Uh, suburban Denver, mm -hmm. uh, you had, and it's, there is some irony in, uh, uh, you know, the, the supporters of Justice Kavanaugh who are all squirmy right now that he's being subjected to this uh, during some of these uh, protests at abortion clinics uh, with the approval of the United States Supreme Court uh, the court uh, struck down local ordinances that had had put kind of a perimeter of safety around some of these facilities. Well, and how, how ironic is that? I'm going to say, I'm going to change it. How hypocritical is that when you get the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, you know, bl blocking off a big area where people aren't allowed to, well, to, to exercise their First Amendment, and even creating, I mean, you see this all the time where, they, where politicians or or powerful entities create free speech zones. Mm -hmm. Putting that in quotes, free yeah. speech I, zones. It's, you know, I am, uh, uh, you know, I'm an, you know, as close as you're going to come to an absolutist <laughs> on, uh, you know, the uh, First Amendment issues. I, you know, I get all twitchy when uh, <laughs> Iowa State University had created, you know, free speech zones on campus. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I understand that you can't uh, stand outside of a, a classroom window and disrupt what's going on inside, but, but to, to say that you have to go up there, you know, north of the, the park's library if you want to express your opinions on some issue, or that, 
you know, the campus policies were going to prohibit chalking on the sidewalks, I'm shocked that, yeah. you know, that uh, students a- might write yeah. some message on the sidewalk in chalk where it would disappear after the next rainstorm. Well, with as often as we get rain these days, it might, might be there but for a while. Th- well, that's true. You know, once <laughs> so, again, Ed, you've made a good point. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to make that point. I wish we were having more rain, but I digress. But let me let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, again, people protesting Kavanaugh's decisions and other Supreme Court justices' decision on Roe v. Wade have gone to the, their homes, mm-hmm. protested there. Um, I don't know whether they've I think I think in maybe one case I know there was a, a man who was found there at was, night. There was an on. arrest that was made outside of Kavanaugh's home uh, by federal marshals, who were stationed there uh, as a uh, uh, proactive uh, action by the U.S. Right. Justice Department. Uh, but that person wasn't on the public sidewalk; he was on the private property. Correct? He he he'd gotten out of uh, a cab. I mean, you know. He'd gotten out of a cab outside of the justice's home carrying a, a duffel bag where law officers quite naturally got suspicious yeah, sure, at who's, a, who's carrying a duffel bag at 1.30 in the morning uh, outside of a home. In a, you know, I'm not advocating, uh, you know, endangering the lives and safety of justices or their families, but, uh, you know, the... The restrictions on those protests are, you know, in that particular situation was that you could use the sidewalks, you could pass on the sidewalks and express your views as you go past. Uh, You know, from a practical standpoint, you're probably going to uh, uh, lose more converts to your opinion if you're doing this uh, in a private neighborhood. That was an excellent, excellent segue to my next concern. Uh, and we, we've seen that here in Des Moines, for example. Uh, one organization here, Iowa CCI, has organized protests at the home of uh, Jeff Hansen. He's uh, probably Iowa's biggest hog confinement mm-hmm. operator, um, owns loads of confinements that have caused lots of headaches, literally headaches, and various problems for landowners who live nearby, especially those who live downwind from this, yeah. these confinements. He lives in a nice home in West Des Moines, doesn't have to deal with the smell. Uh, so activists took the protest to his home. And I think we would both agree they have a right to do that. They have a right. I personally, I think that hurts yeah. their cause. No, I, and, and there's a difference between what <clears throat> is legal and what is wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you, you would hope those two would uh, come well, inside, but no. But... You know, back in your, uh, you know, political days, uh, you know, if, if somebody marched in front of your house, uh, you know, shouting, you know, something about some position you had taken, you may have, uh, you know, hardened your position rather than softening it. And your neighbors may have uh, come around to your point of view. So I think that you know, people who are inclined to protest need to ask themselves whether they're going to uh, benefit their cause or harm their cause. I totally agree. And it's funny you should say that because even as a, when I was a politician for 14 years, that never happened. But it happened just a couple months ago. (laughs) So I I guess I'm still, quote, in politics. That's right. Uh, You know, you can't get away from it. (laughs) We we had a protest out front. And again, I, I think it was extremely fringe and marginal and kind of ridiculous but that you know that and that's how I see the the protests in front of this guy Jeff Hansen's house or how how, how I see the protests in front of Brent Kavanaugh's house mm-hmm. I mean on 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 Roe v Wade the vast majority of, of Americans what 60 plus percent yeah. support uh, a woman's right to choose an abortion if you know, in most circumstances, again, I think most people would have some limits. Yeah. But overall, people are on the, quote, pro-choice side of this. And yet, is it possible that an action that's, again, again seen as very intrusive into the private space of this particular justice, is that action inclined to erode some of that support? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's always a danger. Uh, and organizers of protests would be... Uh, uh, would do well to think through what the ramifications are going to be. Well, and they don't often do that. 
well, it just shows what I've said all along, that common sense really isn't common. <laughs> right. Well, and we're going to actually, uh, in the next segment, and we'll be, uh, we'll be uh, bidding adieu to you before then, but in the next segment, we'll be talking about uh, the Iowa State Fair butter cow. And um, we'll, we'll talk about various things regarding the butter cow, including the history of the butter cow. But, but you probably, you, you may have still, you've been, you, you may have been at the register in 2013 when activists um, somehow got into the butter cow's sacred uh, cooling space and uh, covered it with red dye and painted freedom for all on the uh, glass uh, casing outside the uh, butter cow. Again, I suppose they had a right to do that. <laughs> well, no, no, that was pretty illegal, no matter how you look at that. But more important, it was pretty detrimental to their cause. I don't think they want a single convert, probably yeah. even lost some people doing that. They should have just kept moving. Yeah. Oh, that's that's very cute. I get it. audience. You catch that moving M O O V I N G. This is why this is why this is why Randy does his work, right? Um, so hey, before we go, I want to let people know where and how they can find your columns. I know again, you most of your work is focused on the Freedom of Information Council, and it's, it's important work you're doing. But uh, I enjoy reading your columns. I agree with most of them. I like I particularly like the ones I don't agree with. But where do people go to find your continued writing? Uh, you will find it every week at uh, the Bloomfield Democrat, which is the newspaper I started working at when I was a high school kid. Bloomfield, Iowa. Bloomfield, Iowa. Right. The website is BDemo. And you can, see, you, can, you can read it online? You can read it online. It doesn't cost you anything. All right. Well, honey, I can't, can't, can't beat that, folks. Hey, Randy, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Really appreciate it. Folks, we've been talking with Randy Evans, the former editor of the Des Moines Register editorial page and the founder and executive director of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council. When we come back from a short break, as I, in, as I indicated before, uh, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm is going to join me. We're going to be talking about the history of the butter cow back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember folks, you can support this alternative to the angry shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit doing good work, you can also become a sponsor of this program. Speaking of sponsors, thanks to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm, now in the studio with me. And I think we're going to talk about the butter cow. We, we talked about the butter cow last year. We did. But it was a different, a different sort of focus. It was. It was just more tangential to our main topic, which was butter versus margarine. Right, and butter wins. Butter, butter wins. Butter always wins. <laughs> butter battle. And, and, and uh, butter cow is a winner at the Iowa State Fair. Yes. Uh, and it's got a long history, I understand, right? Really, really iconic. I hadn't realized it started in 1911. Wow. They even had butter back then? <laughs> Not, I think they even had margarine, but no. <laughs> but, but I would I would be hard-pressed to think of anyone making a cow, a 600-pound cow with margarine. I don't think it yeah. would stick. I, I have a hard time thinking of somebody making a 600-pound cow 
butter cow back in 1911. 1911, and they had to cool that big case to 40 degrees and keep it in there, and the sculptor had to be in there. Burr. The first sculpture was a J.K. Daniels. And he froze to death. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Died of no, hypothermia didn't. while carving a butter cow. No. no okay. um, uh, there were a couple of other sculptures in the meantime, and then I think the one most Iowans are familiar with is Norma, quote, Duffy Lyon of Toledo, she started in 1960, and she she really went a long time. How many um, years? The person started apprentice with her in 2006. Wow. So that was incredible. Hmm. The current butter cow sculptor at the Iowa State Fair is Sarah Pratt. All right. So just so if people, I mean, if you go to the Iowa State Fair, that's one of the biggest attractions, the, the butter cow sculpture. When politicians come, they almost always walk by the butter cow. Yeah, um, although it's not that good a photo op because there's a big glass pane in front of it, and and I hardly ever see the cow and the person trying to pose in front of it in yeah. a very good shot. So I don't know. I would choose something else. So how many how many actual pounds of butter go? I mean, is is it a solid butter thing or is it? Uh, oh, they just keep frame slopping it on it? a frame. There's a metal and okay, wire so frame, the, so a wood a, and wire. Mesh. There's like bones. Yes, yeah, yeah. and, and okay. then they start packing the butter in. It is about 600 pounds of, right. they use low moisture, pure cream, Iowa butter yeah. for it. And interestingly, they can recycle that from year to year. They so if I, was gonna, if, if I was going to take the butter cow home with me after the state fair, and uh, I mean, I, I use butter for lots of wonderful things, but let me say, I just wanted to butter my toast. <laughs> what, what's the, how, how far would that get me? The state fair has some statistics and facts about the butter cow. There's enough butter in the cow for 19,200 slices of toast, but Ed, you butter <clears throat> your toast more heavily than right. a lot so of I people. Right, so I could probably get it done I, more quickly. I, I would say it would only be about 18,000 slices of toast. It says it takes an average person two lifetimes to eat a butter cow. Ed, I bet I could do it in one. We calculated last <laughs> May for that segment that, that we had each eaten a butter cow. So 1911 is when this started, and it's gone continuously every year since 1911. Except during World War II. There was one well, year during World War II when it was suspended. Uh, another little-known fact. Uh, for, why was it suspended? Just because of food shortages? Um, yes. Okay. Yes, and lack of lack of and they uh, resources. Needed the, they needed the food on the front. Right. Okay. Um, there's often now a sculpture, a companion sculpture, and those have varied through the years. They started in 1996 with Grant Wood's American Gothic pose. Okay. They 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 sculpted butter um, dentist and his sister. <laughs> so um, I like the one where uh, they had in uh, 19. 99, they had Da Vinci's Last Supper, which I, I like that because it must have been a lot of work and it took 2,000 pounds of butter. So Jesus was made out of butter that year. <sighs> wow, butter Jesus. You've heard of Buddy Jesus? Uh, buddy Jesus. This is Butter Jesus. Butter Jesus. Yeah. I think it's even cooler. <laughs> but, uh, but so, And John Wayne, wasn't John Wayne one of the... Uh, Butter sculptures? Yeah, but I prefer Laura Ingalls Wilder. Okay, sure you do. How about, and, and Tiger Woods made the cut one year. Tiger Woods, right, right. right. If I had my druthers, right. if and, I got you, to and recommend, you, and you don't, but this dream is my on, dream official on. recommendation to the Iowa State no Fair. No druthers allowed. <laughs> that, that at some time in the near future, um, Arabella Mansfield be the companion sculpture. Who? And not just because. She was born in 1846 and died in 1911, the same year that the butter cow started. But she was the first female lawyer admitted to the bar in, in Iowa? Iowa. In the U.S. In the U.S. In okay. the U.S. Oh, yeah, she I, was admitted I, to Iowa's okay. bar. I know who you mean now. Sure. Yeah. Yep. There had been a law disallowing be, women. And right. well, then she took the test and did very well and then contested it in court. Ha <laughs> ha! No. And one, and that changed the law oh, so, to admit both women and minorities. Oh, so, so, so she did well in the exam, but then was disallowed because she was a woman. That's how it goes. And then contested the decision in court and won. That's really cool. Right. All right. right. So yeah, she would make a great butter cow person. She would. If I had my druthers again, which I don't, uh, I would love to see Simon Estes as a butter cow. No, no, sorry, not, not a, a butter a cow, a butter a companion sculpture. Not riding on the cow, not milking <laughs> the cow, not not singing to the cow. Well, maybe he'd like to. He might sing to the cow. He, he should could, sing yeah. to the cow. Sing with the cow. 
Okay. But uh, I would like to see a, a Simon Estes butter sculpture. I mean, this is, um, he's officially retiring from opera singing this mm-hmm. year, and he did so with a with a flourish. He sang uh, in Porgy and Bess's, mm. uh, the, in, in Gershwin's uh, production of Porgy and Bess at so the uh, uh, Des Moines Metropolitan Opera. And he's, he's just a powerful singer and a great guy. He's just a nice guy. I mm-hmm. mean, I've, I've met him several times. A nice guy. Mm. Anyway. So, hey, if you go to the I've Butter... I've never met Arabella Mansfield. Yeah. So, you know, and one last thing. In 2013, the Butter Cow was not without uh, controversy. That's Because true. back in nearly, uh, let's see, nine years ago, vandals, uh, anti, anti-animal agriculture vandals came and painted. They somehow snuck in, painted the Butter Cow in red dye, and then wrote... Freedom for all, on the um, on the glass. Apparently, not freedom for all who want to eat an omnivorous diet. But that fact is cleverly omitted from the State <laughs> Fair's own history yeah. rendition of the buttercup. I think it's an important fact. It's, it is. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, it's also interesting to me that no one was ever caught. Hmm. I mean, that was a pretty. I don't think so. I, if I, I've never heard of anybody being caught. So well, the Quad City Times called the vandals lame brain fanatics that serve only their <laughs> personal outrage. That, that that's, is, that's that's a fun. great quote. Yes, yes, great quote. Hey, um, so anyway, uh, thanks, Kathy, for joining us today, and thanks, Randy Evans, for being on the program. Thanks to our production squad, which includes me and Kathy, Kathy and. Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, and Charles Goldman. And thanks to our local business partners, uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Vibes Kitchen and Bar, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Uh, Thanks, folks. We'll be back next week with another great hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.